website for details. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share with you today a piece by Andrew Strom, S-T-R-O-M. He's an Australian. He was a part of the prophetic movement in Kansas City for a number of years, and then finally in utter disgust turned away from the false teaching of these churches in Kansas City that were involved in this prophetic outreach ministry. It was a false teaching. And so he has a web page now, and I get updates from him. Uh, He brings articles from various men teaching the gospel, specifically that of walking righteous before God. I want to bring to you his most recent article entitled, We've Lost the Gospel. There is no tragedy in the world worse than this, the church losing the gospel. We could have a hundred terrorist attacks or earthquakes or hurricanes, and it would still not outweigh the tragedy of this one thing. We have lost the gospel. Nothing can compare to this disaster. Nothing. For when you lose the gospel you lose salvation. People are actually no longer becoming saved. Remember, Paul said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And when people are no longer truly being saved, you also lose the church. For no true gospel equals no true church. Now, people will say that I'm being too drastic Well, I want to say to you that I'm not being drastic enough. In fact, if I were to shout through a thousand megaphones directly into your ears, it would not be possible for me to overemphasize just how disastrous and awful and horrific it is that our backslidden Western church has in all intent and purpose lost its gospel. And in doing so, we have lost its very reason for being. We tell everyone that all they need to do is say a little rote prayer, accepting Jesus as their, quote, personal Savior, end quote. Tell me, where is such a thing in Scripture? Does such a thing even come close to existing? Can you recall even one person doing such a thing to become a Christian in all of the scriptures? Did any of the apostles in Acts ever say to someone, just repeat this little prayer after me, or quietly slip up your hand, no need for anyone to see? Can you remember anyone in scripture doing anything like this? No, you can't. That's because nobody ever did. 
It's all a modern fabrication, a complete invention. This is no salvation at all. We act like people can safely forget about conviction of sin and deep repentance and water baptism and getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Just, quote, optional extras, unquote. But look at Acts and tell me, was there ever such a thing as real Christianity without these things? And what about getting clean, a clean conscience, washed in the blood, keeping it clean? Are we ever told how to walk in that today? To actually walk in the washing of the blood of Jesus? To be clean? To be utterly clean? To be every whit clean? The most important thing in the world. Where is this in our modern gospel? Where's the transformed life? Where's the freedom from sin? We've lost it all. Our people very rarely repent. They often go for years without baptism, meaning according to Romans 6 that their old man is not yet dead, and so they simply cannot live a new life in Christ. Read Romans 6 sometime and ask yourself this question. If I have not been baptized, then is my old life buried with Christ or not? Is my old man dead or not? This is why the apostles always baptize people right away. And then we often fail to get people filled with the Spirit straight away, too. Let alone walking in the Spirit. Tell me, how are we supposed to have holiness if we've not been filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do you think the apostles always made sure that people became spirit-filled right away? Most of us do not even preach day one Christianity as it was in the Bible. We've lost the gospel and we don't even know it. We've invented a gospel of convenience, a gospel without the cross, a gospel without holiness or the power to live a Christian life, a gospel that shows no one how to get a clean conscience or how to walk in it. I want to say to you that such a gospel is no gospel at all. And we should be ashamed of ourselves for preaching such a travesty. No wonder today's church is lukewarm. The gospel is the building block upon which everything else is built. Without it, we have nothing Literally nothing. It affects all that we do and all that we are. To lose it is simply the worst disaster imaginable. So how on earth can we get it back? Well, we've spoken about revival many times on this site. But when a lot of people don't realize, but what a lot of people don't realize is that the return of the gospel is the key that brought about the Great Awakening, the gospel being restored and preached in power. The longest-lasting revivals always involve the return of the gospel. That is precisely what was happening with the preaching of John Wesley, Charles Finney, Whitfield, and others. 
it has to happen again today. So revival to me is far more than just a fleeting visitation. It is to be the long-lasting restoration of the true gospel and thus the true church. If we want true Christianity restored today, we must first see the gospel restored. It is the most important key to everything. Oh God, send such a revival. Bring back the gospel. And bring back those who will preach the gospel. Oh God, we cry out to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. This was an article on the website www.revivalschool.com by Andrew Storm, or Strom, S-T-R-O-M. He is um, the moderator of this website from Australia. You could also find this material at johnthebaptisttv.com. He's a good man to be listening to. His heart is a cry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me be really clear today. The gospel that is the real gospel, the good news gospel, is one that brings absolute confrontation to our sinful way of life. And it makes no allowance for sin, but rather it teaches us that if we continue to walk in the sin, we are going to be cast into the fires of hell. But the good news is there is a way of escape from our sin. And that way of escape is through the baptism, the, the death, the crucifixion. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ. When we come to Jesus, can I just speak bluntly? When we come to Jesus, all of the power of sin is broken in our lives. If the power of sin has not been broken in your life, it's because you have not been saved. Or because you were saved at one point, and then you rebuilt what you had destroyed. A man who was an alcoholic, who was wondrously transformed by the gospel, received the Lord Jesus Christ, wept over his sin and the ugliness of it, and asked Jesus to give him a new heart. The request was granted, and he never had a desire from that day forward to touch that alcohol. But talking about this, he said, I could easily have returned to it, and I would have rebuilt what the Holy Spirit destroyed in my heart. That's a choice. Now, the problem we face is even those of you who came to Jesus Christ and honestly repented of your sin and were transformed by the power of the blood, believed the lie that you were taught that now it was okay for you to go back to your sin and that after all, you cannot help yourself, and that all Christians are always going to sin, 
And so you dove right back into that wickedness. Now, I want to tell you one of the ways of this gospel. Every time you rebuild what the Holy Spirit breaks in your life, it becomes harder next time to get free of that bondage. The chains grow heavier. The bondage is more intense. Now, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about because you call yourself a Christian, but you have never been converted. You've never been changed. You have never metamorphosed. You've never been transformed by the blood of Jesus, but you have been inculcated with the culture of the modern church. And so you see the church as a wonderful place for social opportunity. You see it as a place to network for your business. You see it as a place of inspiration and entertainment. It's a pleasant thing to go to church and hear the beautiful music and and sing the songs of praise and worship. and, And you go through that, and it's a most pleasant time for you. Some of you, how do I say this? Some of you do not find it a pleasant experience because you've been hurt in the church, but your life has never been transformed. So you call yourself a Christian, but you don't even attend a church. You're not even a part of the body of Christ, but you still call yourself a Christian. And I want to say just a word. No true Christian will be separate from the real body of Christ because Jesus will order your steps and take you to a real church. If you will wait on him, he has people hidden away in many different places that are earnestly seeking his face. And if you call yourself a Christian, but you have no interest in meeting with God's people, I can tell you now, you are not a Christian. Now, there are Christians who have a very difficult time because they live in Saudi Arabia or they live in China, and to go to church is a capital offense. You're killed. But I want to tell you, in China, Saudi Arabia, they still gather in secret. I spoke to one person who made a missions trip to Russia while the Iron Curtain was still up. When I say missions trip, I mean they went to smuggle Bibles into the country. And they came up to the place where the baggage was being searched. And they prayed. And suddenly, because of the line, a new line was opened up, and they were waved right through. And they walked in with their suitcases full of Bibles. They didn't bring clothes. They brought brought Bibles. And then as soon as they were in Russia, they made a secret contact that they had arranged ahead of time. And they made contact with these precious underground Christians who would be beaten and imprisoned and even killed if they were discovered. This person reported to me that they were invited to one of the 
family's homes for dinner after the small gathering. But they were not allowed to walk together. They had to walk almost a block apart because they didn't want the secret police to see them walking together. They finally arrived at the apartment complex. The man was a medical doctor, but because of being a Christian, he was forbidden to practice, and he was only allowed to work in a clinic as an assistant to a doctor. They went into this humble little apartment, and the family put on the very best meal they could put on. My friend reported that they sat with tears in their eyes at this sacrifice they had made. For dessert, they passed around a small honey bowl, and each person was invited to dip their spoon into the honey. That was their dessert. As the meal was finished, the doctor turned to my friend and said, Oh, how I wish I could be in America, because you're free to worship God in America. My friend turned with tears to this medical doctor and said, Sir, we're free to worship in America, but we've lost the gospel. You, sir, are the one who is privileged because you have the real gospel and you serve Jesus. In America, everyone is ashamed of the real gospel of Jesus. He was absolutely unable to understand what my friend was saying to him. He could not imagine that a people would give up the real gospel. My friend said to him, Sir, you have the chains of bondage that make your life very difficult. We have the chains of luxury that also makes the gospel very difficult. He could not understand what she was saying. But finally, he was with his family, able to escape from Russia. They met this family at the airport. And one of the first things he wanted to do was visit a grocery store. So they took him to a grocery store so he could buy a few things because he didn't want to not be contributing to the food for this family. So he went into the grocery store. They walked in with him, and he stood there just absolutely overwhelmed. He said, I've never seen so much food in my life. I have no idea how to even begin to find the simple things I wanted to purchase. And he said, I think we best go. He could not stand to be in that grocery store. We live in the chains of luxury today. And in the chains of luxury, we have cheapened the gospel of Jesus until today it has almost no meaning. The gospel literally means that I am transformed, that I no longer serve the gods of this culture. I am freed from the power of sin. And let me be very plain with you. 
if you have not been freed from the power of sin, you are not saved. And you will, at the judgment, be cast into outer darkness, into the fires of hell, because you still walk in your sin. Now let's be clear about what sin is and what it is not. Sin is not immaturity. Sin is not human frailty. Sin is deliberate rebellion against God. It is choosing the way of darkness. It is choosing to cherish bitterness and anger. It is choosing to lie and steal and cheat. It is choosing to be sexually irresponsible. It is choosing to live like the world lives. It is denying Jesus Christ. If you are doing these things, you may call yourself a Christian, but in fact, from heaven's viewpoint, you are not a Christian. If you were at one time, you have now backslidden. The gospel is good news. It is the news that you have been set free of your sin. It is not that you can continue sinning and be saved. That is not the gospel. That is the modern gospel of the American and the Western church, and it's a lie. I want to walk with you through some passages of Scripture that you would know that what I am saying to you is not simply Andrew Strom's or my interpretation of the Scripture. In Romans, the sixth chapter, it begins by, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, please understand what I'm saying. It is not an easy, quick experience to be baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus was without sin, and yet in that Garden of Gethsemane, he agonized. He sweat blood. Why? Because he did not want to be crucified. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there was a place a basin, a large stone basin, and then burlap bags would be placed in it of olives. And then with a long lever, they would lower upon those olives a crushing heavy stone. That stone was called the stone itself was called the stone of crushing. It was called Gethsemane. That's what Gethsemane was. It was a place of crushing of the olives. It was not by chance that Jesus went there to pray. It was a crushing of Jesus. The oil could not flow from his life until he was crushed. Now, if this is what Jesus went through, 
What do you think we're going to go through? This is not a feel-good, easy believism. There is a place of crushing that we must experience and go through, and that crushing is all about taking everything that we have treasured, all of the worldly life that we have lusted after, all of the casualness of the arrogance of the human heart, thinking we have a right to be in charge of our own lives. That crushing place is where that Gethsemane stone, that stone of crushing is lowered upon us. This is what is called conviction of sin. This broadcast is called Pilgrim's Progress. And if you remember in the story of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, that wonderful allegory written in 1678 or published in 1678, he begins the story by this man reading the scriptures. And as he reads the scriptures, he begins to identify a heavy load that is on his back. His conviction grows. He must find a way to be released from the heavy burden that is on his back. And the more he reads the scriptures, the heavier the burden begins to be until finally he is bowed over. He, he's bowed down. He can't even stand up straight. The load is so heavy, it is crushing the life out of him. He meets a man by the name of Evangelist. An evangelist tells him that the city he lives in is going to be destroyed because of sin. And he must flee, and he points the way for where he must go, and it's to a narrow gate. He said you must go through that narrow gate, and then you must go to a place where there is a cross. And at that cross, the burden of your sin will be cut away. Now, many of you call yourselves Christians, but you are still carrying a burden of sin. That would not be good news if it were me. How could I walk under a crushing burden of sin and say, I have good news, I'm saved? You can't do that. What are you saved from? And what are you saved to? Well, the scriptures tell me that I'm saved from my sin. And I am saved to righteousness. So for a man to say, I am saved, but still walk in his rebellious ways, means that he has been utterly deceived. Have you been utterly deceived? Are you still walking in your sin? Even attending church, even giving money. You have religion, but you don't have salvation. Did you know there's a difference between religion and salvation? They're not the same thing. So today, if you are walking in sin and you are being crushed by that sin or you're being casual about it and you're saying it doesn't really matter, I'm saved, so... I'm all right. You've been utterly deceived. That's simply not true. 
I'm not walking in sin today. I'm walking clean before God. Rebellion is not in my heart. I am at peace in my heart with Jesus, and I have the joy of salvation in my spirit, and I'm walking in that joy, in that gladness of heart, even as I'm serving the Lord Jesus by coming here and speaking to you about these issues. I'm trying to say I have received the good news that I've been released from my sin, and I have peace and joy in my heart. I want that for you. I don't want you to walk in condemnation. I don't want you to walk in a false sense of security. I want you to walk in freedom. Somebody says, but pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you loved perfectly today? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Well, then you've sinned. Wrong. I'm immature, but I am growing up in Jesus. To be perfect in the scripture means, first, there are several words used for perfect, but the primary one means to be mature, to be complete. It says that Jesus learned through suffering to be perfect. And when he was perfect, he made intercession for men. He, he died on the cross. Jesus was being matured in the Garden of Eden. He was not mature when he went into that garden, and so he cried out to God and said, Take this cup from me, if possible, Father, but your will be done. That is not a mature prayer. Jesus was immature, but in the garden, the final gift of maturity was granted to him. And the scriptures say he was perfect, he was mature. But Jesus was always completely without sin. When Jesus did not stay with his parents, but instead went to the temple, and his parents journeyed toward home, and the parents had to turn around and come back and find him, that was immaturity, or it was sin. Which was it? Of course, it was immaturity. Jesus did not commit sin. He was without sin, but he was not always mature. He had to grow up. He had to mature, and he matured through the suffering that he experienced. Now, please understand me. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you no longer have to sin. Let me read this passage for you. This is Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, please let me give you a meaning for this passage. He says, sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law. The law did not also give you the authority or the power to not sin. It simply told you what was expected of you. And, of course, we very quickly see in the Scriptures and have experienced in our own lives that the law makes no man righteous. 
For no man can keep the law. There is no authority granted in the law for the keeping of the law. It is simply a statement of what God expects. But then it says we are not under the law, but we, under, we are under grace. Grace is not a blanket that covers over sin. Grace gives us the power to say no to unrighteousness. So we're not under sin because grace has come and it has given us the authority and the power to say no to sin. That is, for a man or woman who has been crushed, the old man of sin has been done away with. We have been transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That person is under grace. Grace gives the power to not sin. Titus, the Apostle Paul says, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. But it's more than teaching us, it's also enabling us. No temptation has come, but what God has given to us, a way of deliverance. So we do not have to walk in sin. And you cannot be saved and walk in your sin. You will be lost. So you quickly can recognize the agony of Andrew Strom as I read this article to you in the Western Church where we have lost our gospel, and he says, and so we have lost the church. It's still called the church, but it's really just a social organization. It's a do-good organization. It's a place of entertainment and inspiration to go out in the world and do your very best. And we have churches teaching all manner of strategies that you could be prosperous. It's very interesting to me that in Babylon, in Babylonian theology, in the teachings of the occultism of Babylon, the number 666 stands for the sun. Think about that for a moment. The sun also represents prosperity. It was not by accident that when the tabernacle was built for the children of Israel, when you were coming into the tabernacle, the sun was rising at your back. In other words, symbolically, the Old Testament tabernacle was saying, if you are going to worship the God of heaven, you are going to have to turn your back on the sun. Do you make the connection? The man of sin who is coming at the end of time is identified by the number 666. The mark of the beast is 666. Some of you think that that's a number that will be put on your forehead without understanding that it's a number that stands for prosperity. America is Babylon, I believe. And I believe that we worship prosperity in this nation. 
and those who wish to just be survivors, as the Antichrist power arises, and tyranny increasingly grows in America, many of you will simply choose to be survivors, and you will take the number because you cannot buy or sell without taking the number. And you will rationalize that you are saved in spite of your sin, that you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Remember, there was a great delusion that would come over the people of God. That delusion is that you can walk in your sin and you're still saved. That delusion is 666. You can have the prosperity of the world. You can walk like the world. You can act like the world. It's all about becoming prosperous. And so you have men like T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, and many other men who come preaching a gospel of 666. And God's people are totally clueless. Why? Because a delusion is already coming over God's people as false pastors come and teach the delusion of prosperity of 666. And so many of you will choose to be survivors when you see that you can't feed your family, when you see that you can't buy or sell, that you may starve to death. You're going to very quickly say, I want the prosperity. Many of you are already selling out for this. You're already buying into the whole prosperity move. The purpose-driven church is simply another demonic writing that highlights not the purpose of the church, but the purpose of the devil in seeing that you become all that you can be. That's the same thing that Eve was told by the devil in the Garden of Eden. Look, eat from this tree of 666. And you can have everything. You can determine what is right and wrong. You will, you will live forever. You will never die. And today I hear people, I hear Christians teaching that we're immortal. That we never die. Wrong. We were not created immortal. Immortality will be given to the people of God when the last trump sounds, when we put off this body of flesh and are given the heavenly body. Please, do you understand what I'm saying to you today? We cannot worship the Babylonian number of 666, which stands for the sun and for prosperity, and believe that Jesus is going to save us. He saves us from our sin, not into our sin. He saves us from our sin. And so there's a very casual, laid-back attitude. Many of you listening to this broadcast think that you can just listen and be inspired a little bit. Some of you get very angry, but what you hear, and then you come back and you listen again. I pray that today... It's made plain enough for you that you understand that the gospel is good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ will set you free. 
it will release you from every bondage of sin. And you no longer will walk in that sin. You'll no longer lie. You'll no longer cheat. You'll no longer be filled with malice and bitterness. Nothing grieves my heart quite as much as to see someone come to the National Prayer Chapel and then become engaged in some wicked and desperate struggle with a brother or a sister, a husband or a wife. It is gross sin against the Almighty God. Why not prefer one another before ourselves? Why not give up our rights and keep the peace? Why grab for what we want? I only want what is given to me by the hand of Jesus. And what is given to me by the hand of Jesus cannot be taken away from me. I made a covenant with Jesus. I made a covenant in prayer and I said, Lord, I will only receive from your hand what you choose to give me. I will not reach out and grab anything for myself. I won't reach out and grab food or clothes or cars or houses. I will only receive from your hand what you choose to give me. And with what you choose to give me, I will purchase what you tell me to purchase. I will go where you tell me to go, and I will speak what you give me to speak. Is that your heart cry? Is that where you stand today? Have you grown cold of heart or lukewarm? Have you lost your first love? Or are you on fire for Jesus, sold out? Have you compromised with the world and you're walking in sin and still imagining that you're saved? This book of Romans, the sixth chapter. I want to read more. Verse 7, anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if you have not been freed from sin, it's because you have not yet died. Now, let me make something absolutely clear to you. All righteousness comes as a free gift from Jesus Christ. All striving and all struggling is to be put aside. You can force yourself into the outward behavior by a strong will. But on the inner side, you cannot force it. It is a work of circumcision that Jesus must do in you. And in order for that work of circumcision to be done, you must die to yourself and to the world. You must die to what they think, by what they demand. You must die to their expectations. You must die to your ambition and your ownership and your control of your life. You must die to yourself. 
and be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus. You must be made into a new creature, and this happens as we repent of our sin and we covenant with Jesus to belong to him and to serve the Lord Jesus alone and no other person. And as we begin to weep before him and deal with our sin honestly and go to the very root of the bitterness that inhabits our hearts, the selfishness, the ambition, as we go to the root of that sin and we expose it to Jesus and we ask him, please, I renounce this sin in your name. Remove it from my heart. He removes it from our heart. It no longer belongs to us. It is lifted off of our lives. And we walk clean then before Jesus. Step by step, item by item, we must deal with the sin of our hearts. This is not a lengthy process, but it will take perhaps several days. As we earnestly seek before God to know the condition of our souls, Believe me, when we begin this process, we wake up. It's like electricity begins to flow through our veins. And we begin to understand what our standing is before God, that it is the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And the transforming power of Jesus begins to flow in your life and in your heart. This is what the gospel of Jesus will do for you. I'm Ray Greenley. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. If you're interested in knowing Jesus, and if you're interested in beginning to experience this process of crushing and conversion and conviction and being restored and, and walking new into the gospel of Jesus Christ, then come and worship with us. You will find the preaching piercing and convicting. And you will find the good news of the gospel there. You will find men and women filled with the joy of the Lord as they walk victoriously before Jesus. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. 22192. Now, I know some of you have said, Pastor, I'd like to come visit, but you haven't. I know why. You're too comfortable. You say it's an inconvenience to drive there. Get over it. Is your soul salvation too much of an inconvenience for you? Isn't it time for you to get serious with Jesus? And stop going if you're simply attending a prosperity church. Run. Run. If you're attending a church where there's no conviction of sin, run. So we're located, this All Saints Anglican Church is located on Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia, right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel. Drive around to the back of the building, 
and you'll find parking there with a lower lobby that's ground level with glass doors, double glass doors. Come in through those double glass doors, and immediately on the left-hand side, you will see the worship center for the National Prayer Chapel. I invite you to come. We meet 12 o'clock on Sunday, 12 noon. We begin prayer. At 12.30, we begin praise and worship. And I invite you to come. You want to be serious about Jesus? Come. I've been very encouraged in the last weeks with young people coming, paying the price, saying, I have to get right with Jesus, and I have to walk in him, and I need to learn the ways of God. It's been very encouraging from my heart. Now, I also want to give you our mailing address. It's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com and you'll find podcasts you'll find resources that are there for you free of charge my concern is that you walk in the gospel of Jesus that you receive the good news that the old man be utterly crushed in your life the old flesh utterly crushed and that you walk in the newness of Jesus, walking clean before him, filled by the Holy Spirit, baptized, and we're planning a baptism very soon. We baptize in the Occoquan River. If you'd like to be a part, if you've not been baptized by immersion, I invite you to come and express your interest as you seek after Jesus. Now let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I come very sober because I recognize that many who are listening to this broadcast today are still walking in their sin. They've believed the modern American lie that everybody sins, and so it's okay. But Lord, that's not what you taught. You told the woman who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. Lord, I pray that you'll increase the conviction in the heart of every man and woman until it becomes a crushing burden on their heart that they must get clean before you. And Lord, don't let them turn aside to the television or the internet or the video games or the entertainment of our world and have their conscience seared again after you have opened for them today the truth that if they're walking in their sin, they're lost. Lord, don't let them just blow this away by salving their conscience with the things of darkness. Lord, I plead for each person who's listened to this broadcast. And Lord, I thank you for each person who's walking clean today before you, walking in victory. Would you bless them with a special blessing of your Holy Spirit? Would you encourage them in the walk and strengthen them in their walk with you, Jesus? Cause their heart to be lifted up and rejoice. Cause there to be no discouragement or fear in their heart. 
but cause them to stand by faith and believe your word, that you are who you say you are, and that you are going to bring us victoriously through to the promised land. Lord, I just plead with you today. Have your way in America. Have your way in this city, Jesus. No longer allow this city to walk in its casual indifference and scorn of you, Jesus. But bring whatever you must bring in order to turn the heart of people back to you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our This is Tracy.